don't show no, you ain't got the cut though in ya. Beginner, I ain't tryna hear your racket. You work with police dog, you snitch your rat, you wear that jacket. How many rappers must get this? Give me eight bars and watch me bless this. I start to reminisce, and I miss the real hip hop, the bitch I persist. Like rum and mojitos, bullets and vendettas, lots of balls and soup. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Now coming to you 103.3 on the FM, 1420 on the AM and streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. You can, uh, if you're listening to us via the stream, that is brought to you by Champagne's Marketing the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile and joining me now, as promised. We haven't talked to him in a few months. Glad to have him back on the show. Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints, Saints insider and analyst. New Orleans.football is the website. I'm a subscriber, have been for a while Great intel on the Saints. And um, with that, let me welcome him in. Good morning, Nick. First off, man, happy holidays. And uh, how's life? Hey, everything's good, man. I hope it's going well your way, too. Oh, yeah. Things are well. And, um, you know, as far as the Saints go, it really, from a health standpoint, I don't know that things have been well. From a wish list for what they would get this season, I don't know that it's been going well. But despite the obstacles, here they are. Three games left in the season and right in the mix for that last playoff spite, uh, spot, d- despite all the injuries. So I guess my first question, Nick, is w- was there any point during the, the five-game losing streak when the injuries were piling up and things were looking dire where you just thought to yourself, you know what, it's, it's just not going to happen this year for the Saints. I mean, it's, it's just not going to be a postseason year. I don't know how, how you could kind of watch that and not start to wonder if they were going to get it together in time to turn things around. Things look pretty dire. And even coming into this game, you know, both tackles out, Sean Payton out. I don't know that, that you could really come to a logical conclusion where, where you expected them to win the game. So it kind of felt like things were going to keep getting away from them. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think at a certain point within there, I, I started to have reasons for for doubt and i don't think it's necessarily doubting the overall quality of the roster it's doubting the ability of a team to turn it around after they lost five in a row playing backups almost every spot on offense and you know it it just a certain point it started to feel like it was too much and seeing a path to you know even non-wins still might not get it done i mean it's so tight there in the in the uh the nfc down towards the uh, seventh seed Nine still might not get it done, so they might have to win out and still get there. And you know, I think I think now smoke's cleared a little bit. Things have stabilized a bit. They got a win that they probably, you know, they shouldn't have shouldn't have got. Probably they probably stole a win here uh, Sunday night. I, I think now that it, it it feels much more possible, much more realistic that they could get this done and get in the playoffs. I mean, it, it was it was definitely looking very dire there, um, you know, when you start getting the four or five losses in a row. ESP and Lafayette. So let me let me uh, circle back to something you just said. I mean, it was a it was a defensive shutout. Now, offensively, obviously, it was uh, it was tough sledding. But why do you feel like? Why would you say that on Sunday night against the Bucks, they got a win that you know they they stole a win, maybe one they shouldn't have got? Why do you feel that way? Um, I you know I feel that way because. They were they were playing a game without their their head coach and both 
tackles and just usually teams don't win games like that. I mean, they they lost their uh, two of their three best players on, on offense. They aren't playing. They needed to be able to run the ball in this game. They they really couldn't run the ball. Um, no offense. And as good as the defense played, you know, I think that there was probably some element of benefit from them losing Godwin, Mike Evans, and, and Leonard Fournette within the game. Um, you know, obviously the Saints have the same amount of injuries, and I think that you can look at it and, and those start to level each other out. And, you know, I think even you got to the end of the, the you know, way and everything and, and how the scales looked, I think at the end of it, the Saints are probably without more than, than the Bucks were. But I think losing guys within the flow of a game, three of them, when you aren't planning to be without them, I think that affects things a little bit. And I think if those guys had stayed healthy, there's probably uh, you know, a path for the Bucks to get 10 points. So I, I just think they won a game that they shouldn't have won. And I mean, look, they, they lost games that they shouldn't have lost at, at points of the, this year. The Giants being one of those games. Uh, you know, Carolina, I kind of feel like they got screwed by the circumstances heading into that game. Those I, I think there's games that, that you, you lose that you aren't supposed to lose and games you win that you aren't supposed to win. I think this is a game that they probably shouldn't have been able to, to win. I think on paper you weren't looking at it as, a, as you know, the one that, that hey, they're going to write the ship here and, and they're going to steal it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they, they got away with a victory they, they shouldn't have. And I'm not saying they didn't play to deserve it. I'm just saying the circumstances. You know, you look sure. at it going into it, it just felt like an improbable game for them. And, you know, spreads 11 points, and you're looking at the spread thinking, you know, is that, is that enough? Like, it just kind of felt like that was going to be a tough game for them. And, you know, it's not it's the one that where they probably, you know, if they, they get into the playoffs, I think they save their season on, on Sunday night. It, 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 you know, for some of the, the, the Saints fans, and I, I probably am not using the word fans very judiciously when I say it, I, I never subscribe to the, you know, you got to just, lose and, and for a draft pick. I never never bought that. I think I also think that discussion isn't a one size fits all. I think it depends on where you are as a team, you know, are, are whether you're mathematically eliminated for the postseason or not in any sport. Where are you currently as a franchise? Where the Saints are right now, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. But if you're a fan and you're not enjoying the hell out of that game Sunday night, I mean the fact that Tampa didn't take a single snap in the red zone all night. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it was, it was that kind of memorable performance. And, you know, in the fact that they're still playing meaningful games in December is, is something that I think you got to tip your cap off to them considering all of the injuries and everything else that they've been through this year. That, get, that, that win on Sunday night, it, it felt like more than just a single win. You mentioned all the obstacles going into it. But on the other side of it, defensively, they had, I think, what, if I'm not mistaken, all their starters back for the first time since Halloween to start a game on defense, and they they were terrific. They were fantastic. And you, I read your article Monday about the film study, right, the breakdown. You know, from what I can tell, and maybe you can, you can add a little bit more to this discussion, Nick, but it's not like the Saints are throwing out these extreme exotic looks when they play Tampa, right? It's get some solid pressure with the front four consistently and, you know, to try to make Brady beat you more, throw into the sidelines, stop the run up front. It's, it's not like it's some secret formula. Maybe I'm raw off here. I know Dennis Allen said, well, I don't want to give anything away, but when you really break down the tape, 
is it is it a little more simple or or is it maybe more complex than what a lot of people were saying in regards to how the Saints defensively have, you know, four times out of five the last few years matched up well against Tom Brady? So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they're doing anything that they've never done before. Like, some of the stuff they're doing, like they'll show the same look on the defensive line. And this one example, and they, they use it three or four different ways, is, is they'll set it up and just on the nose, David Onyemata, who was right, Marcus Davenport on the edge, Cam Jordan, or, or those guys are flip-flops. And then there's somebody on the other side offset in kind of the wide nine position, which is that, that defensive end position. Like, if you think of, like, Dwight Freeney with the Colts, just way out there on the outside of the, the tight end. They have somebody else over there, and then between and the wide nine and the guy on the nose, Onyemata, they have Demario Davis stationed there in the hole. So if you're the quarterback or you're the offensive line, you're looking at it, and you're trying to figure out who's coming, who's going, and, you know, one play, it might be the guy in the wide nine drops back and they cover a shallow zone. They pick up Fournette coming out of the backfield and Davis goes. Or on the other side, they might rush it straight or – Maybe two of the guys run a stunt, you know, and that's basically a guy setting a pick and someone rushing behind them. So they're doing that. And then, you know, Davis going and, and it's the end dropping on the next play. It's the end going and Davis dropping and, you know, different guys running stunts. And it's, you're trying to unsort it. And just that moment of hesitation can be just enough to get you in there. And they're setting up, you know, those opportunities so that somebody's getting off and, and they got to pass their pass to the quarterback. There's one-on-ones on that one side of the line. Stunt sets it up so that, you know, you're getting off your man. And like I said, you're just looking at it and you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out where the guys are coming from. And it's just enough to, to kind of give you that uncertainty you might get with a blitz without actually blitzing. And I think it's important not to blitz against Brady because Brady sees where pressure's coming from and he sees where it's vacated almost immediately and he gets the ball out it, fast and his ability to spot that stuff and get the ball out quickly is literally why he's the greatest quarterback of all time. It's not because he's dicing people up down the field. It's because he processes faster and quicker and makes quicker decisions than anybody else. So if you can, if you can get that uncertainty created with the blitz without actually blitzing and still have seven men in coverage, it gives you just that, that little bit of an advantage and it takes away that, that thing that makes him special. And then in, in coverage, they aren't doing anything too crazy. They played a lot of quarters coverage. They played a lot of cover two man. It's just two safety shell, and they, they played a lot of cover one. Is you know you're one safety deep and man coverage underneath, and that's basically how they've played all season long. So I don't think anything back there was too crazy. I think up front they got some some creative blitz packages. Uh, you know there were a handful of plays where they rushed Davenport uh, and Jordan up the same same side of the line, and it's just you know getting one of those guys one on one up against the guard, and, and that was something they did really well on a couple of plays they, they brought Quan Alexander down the edge, which just basically held the, the offensive tackle in place. And it got Cam Jordan on a, on a guard and allowed him to get in there and get a sack. So it was just being really creative with, with how they were just setting up at the line of scrimmage in that front seven, getting advantageous looks and, and winning that way. But you know, I think it's, it's really, they just have the, the right personnel to match up with this, this Bucks team. And, he beat him 38 to three last year. And, you know, the thing Collinsworth during the broadcast, he's, you know, oh, everybody's going to study this, this game tape and they're going to do what they do. Everybody studied the game tape from last year and nobody was able to, to do what they do. So I, I think it's just knowing your opponent really well. The saints are almost built in the fashion to counteract, you know, what the bucks are doing. Um, and, you know, again, the, the one thing that I think really did help them in, in 
it, it was that Godwin injury. And you hate to see somebody get hurt, but, I mean, he did get hurt, and the circumstance from that, I think, helped a lot. That was the one thing they did really well in the first game is having uh, him against C.J. Gardner-Johnson. It, it was just kind of a, a little bit of a mismatch throughout, and I think getting him out of that game uh, – I think it. I think it was like a huge advantage for them, and I think you know taking that safety valve out of the slot. I think Brady probably would have went there a lot to counteract the pressure coming. And once he didn't have that, you know, I think I think it tilted the game uh, considerably in the Saints' favor. Yeah, and in terms of matchups, I was I was I guess fixated on the other side going into the game. How are the Saints going to generate points? Because this offense is built to run, and that's what the Bucks do great. They they're very good against the run, and I. I thought the Saints defense could play good. I just wasn't expecting a shutout. And so I, I wasn't expecting a Saints win either. I, I, I thought the Saints could cover an 11-point spread, but I didn't expect them to win because I didn't think they could generate enough points. But all they needed was one point. They got nine. All they needed was one. And uh, with that, Nick Underhill, our guest, uh, this is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Nick Underhill, uh, give him a follow on Twitter if you're not there all, uh, already. It's Nick underscore Underhill. And, of course, check out NewOrleans.Football. Just if you're not there already, a lot of you listening already do subscribe. But if you don't, go check it out, especially if you're a Saints fan. You're going to get content you can't get anywhere else. Some guys I want to ask you about, two guys on defense. I'll start with Cam Jordan. He is, um, you know, look, he's got an obvious future in the Saints Hall of Fame. He's got an obvious future in the Saints Ring of Honor. Uh, he, He eclipsed 100 sacks for his career. But this season... Cam has not played at a level that you've seen in the past back when he was an all-pro. Some said maybe it's the age. He's 32. He's getting up there. Does he still have it? And it's, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. You know, you've done a good job documenting the Marcus Davenport impact when he's in the game, what that does for Cam Jordan. Same thing with David Onyemata. But Jordan, you know, call it load management, call it whatever you want, didn't play last week because of COVID, missed his first game ever. By far his best game of the season Sunday night. One of the better games of his career. I mean, he was just making plays all over the place. This season, that has been an outlier. That has not been the norm. Do you expect more strong performances from Cam Jordan moving forward? Was there something you saw in the film that made you think, you know what, maybe it's not going to be a a two-sack force fumble type of night like he had last night, but you should expect to see a bigger impact from Cam moving forward? Or... Is, is is last Sunday probably just what it is right now, which is an outlier for what he is at this point in his career? So I don't think he's he's really um, – look at Marcus Davenport. I think Marcus Davenport's the kind of kind of the guy that you look at and he, he's the, the straw that stirs the drink. And you see the impact that he has even when he's not getting up to the quarterback. I mean, there's bodies moving around him. He's blowing people up. People are coming behind him and, and making plays um, – like the, the week before the, the Quan Alexander sack, I mean, Davenport just blew everything up and, and Alexander has a clear path to the quarterback. And that used to kind of be what, what Cam's impact was, is, is he was the guy that, that you put out there and he made everybody around him at that point. And I just don't think he, he's, he's necessarily still at that point in his career. And that's not to say he, he's a bad player or anything. I just don't think that he's, you know, guy 1A, super elite. I think he's just he's a good pass rusher now. And I think when he has other people out there with him in the structure of the defense and the secondary is playing well, David Onyemata is moving people like he, he did last year. I mean, Onyemata is the guy, too. He he was kind of, you know, real iffy coming back. And that, that Tampa game was one of the better games that, that he's had in the last couple of years. And he's had some really good games. So looks like he's getting back to himself. 
and Davenport's healthy moving people around. When, when those guys are out there with Cam and they're kind of drawing some attention and they're they're creating some advantageous looks, I think it just becomes a little bit easier for, for Cam Jordan to make plays and, and to, to shine. And I think with everybody out there, if, if they stay healthy and the secondary keeps playing well, I think I think we will see some more production. Cam, I just I think being in the right structure, you can shine. But when everybody's hurt and he's the only guy out there, you know, I just I just don't think that that he's necessarily um, level where he can singularly just dominate and consistently be the you know the only guy you you kind of need out there. He, he's just he's just not at that point anymore. So yeah, I do think he's going to play well, and yeah, I just think it's it's natural. He's, he's at a point in his career. He's, he's getting older. He's kind of more of a complimentary piece than you know the show piece and there's nothing wrong with that i mean it happens to people and as we see he can still be really good within the right structure nick underhill our guest we're going to take a quick time out when we come back i uh, I, I lied nick i got two more defensive players i got to ask you about i asked you about cam i got two more on the list and then we'll talk to nick just a little bit about what's coming next miami this upcoming can the saints make a run at it if they're able at least to hold this thing together and what does the offense look like right now moving forward? We're going to ask him those questions and more. Don't go anywhere. Nick Underhill is on with us. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott Show continues right after this. You work with police dog, you snitch your rat, you wear that jacket. How many rappers must get this? Give me eight balls and watch me bless this. I start to reminisce. When I miss the real hip hop, the bitch I persist. Like rum and mojitos, bullets and bandidos, lots of balls and soup. Jackets and truth, just yours. One for the history book. Nasty Nas, what's the word? Count it off on the hook. Let's go. One, one, two, two, three. three. Rappers and it's still not enough MCs. It goes three, three, two, two, one. one. MCA ad rock, right D. That's how we get it done. Like ladies and gents, attention. Nas in the house with Beastie Boys. We can turn it out. Perpetrators, we can point them out. So if you got something on your mind, let it out. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN Lafayette on a Wednesday. Christmas is almost here. You know what a great Christmas gift would be. If you have a friend that is a huge Saints fan, they like the Saints, get them a subscription to New Orleans.Football. Nick Underhill does a phenomenal job there. Check it out, New Orleans.Football, whether it be annual, monthly, you want to check it out. Maybe just get it for yourself, but a great Christmas present for the Saints fans in your life. And Nick is still on the line with us as we continue our conversation with him right now. And Nick, uh, you brought him up a little while ago when we were talking about Cam Jordan, but... Marcus Davenport, I, I now have a new sort of metaphor for him. I used to call him Davendorf because he remind, he was like the actor Stephen Dorff. For every incredible performance like, you know, True Detective Season 3 or The Power of One or somewhere, there would just be like fear.com. Like, what was that? I, I, he's not even in the stat sheet. What's happening? Well, that's not, that's not the case, right? Davenport is a guy now that I, I, I liken him to like, He's a Ferrari with, like, an engine that is, like, iffy, right? When that engine's running, I mean, he's going to run. He's going to win the drag race every time. The question is, is the engine going to run? Because when it gets out of the garage, there's no stopping it. The big thing with Davenport is, can he stay healthy? 
But there's no denying, Nick, that when he's on the field, I mean, he is making – I'll just ask you this straight up. Is he the biggest impact player on the Saints' defense? A lot of folks might say DeMario Davis, but but how do you feel about Davenport as potentially that guy whenever that Ferrari gets out the garage? It's either, it's either him or Davis is the best player on the defense. And, you know, you, you can make a case for, for either one. I, I can't take anything away from DeMario Davis because he, he plays every week, and that's, that's a huge deal. And the yeah. fact that Davenport doesn't play every week actually takes him out of that conversation entirely. But talent-wise, when he's out there, there's a case to be made that, that he's the most impactful player, definitely on the defensive line. And, you know, the, the short list of players going back, I mean, he, he's, he's up there as far as talent. But, yeah, it, it's, it's the ability to play. And he's missed all these games this year, and I, I, I believe he's at a career high for, for sacks already. I mean, he, he's playing incredibly. It's, his power is unbelievable, the way that he can just move people around. There aren't a lot of people in the league that can do what he does. They don't have his, his blend of athleticism and power. And I think that he's garnered a better understanding of, of who he is as a player and what he needs to do to succeed and has adapted that. And, you know, we, we've talked before about his, his you know, mental stuff and, and staying out of social media and got himself all depressed and put himself in a bad place. And he would allow it to affect him. He's managed that. But I think he's, I think that he's, understand who he is and what he can do and what he needs to do to maximize those things and accentuate it. And he's, he's just playing better than he, he ever has. And we're, we're seeing exactly why they traded up for him. There's no question that the, the scouting and the talent evaluation on that decision to invest two first-round picks to acquire him, there's no question that was the right move is, is the health. And, I mean, it's, it's a massive part of it. Um, you know, next year he, he's on the fifth year option. He's gonna have to he's gonna have to prove. And if he stays on the field for he plays fifteen games next year, I think he's gonna get paid an incredible amount of money. The question then is, you know, does that become a trap? Bad spot being the team that pays him. I, I think it's extremely um, it's it's gonna be a really complicated decision for them to sort out. The talent is undeniable and. When, when he's playing like he did has recently, coming back from injury, I mean, he, he looks like a centerpiece. He, he's the guy you want to build your team around. But you just can't you can't do that. You can't put him in that spot just because of the health. So he's, he's got to figure something out. I think he needs to finish this season healthy. I think he needs to be healthy next season. And even then, I think it would be an uncomfortable decision, but he might force your hand. And if he does, you, you got to hope for the best. But, yeah, man, there is no question that, he is ridiculously talented, and I think he's he's just kind of starting to hit it. And I think there's still there's still room for him to get better. It's uh, you know the number one thing, obviously, as you said, working against him is is the ability to just stay healthy and consistent, right? The um, the best ability is availability. I think is is the coaching cliche goes. But the other thing I think working against him from a fan standpoint, I'm talking specifically about Saints fans, is fair or not when when. You know, a team gives up a first to move up to get you, and then they don't keep Trey Hendrickson, who one of the league leaders in the sacks last year. He's fifth in the league right now. He's doing big things in Cincinnati. Uh, that's that's always just going to be the backdrop, and that's fair or not. I think that's just reality. And um, you know, for Davenport, it's it's there. I just it's like that engine on the Ferrari. It's just not. 
I don't know that it'll ever have a brand new engine that just doesn't, you know, that rarely breaks down. I think it's, I think it is what it is at this point. I mean, for me, there's a large enough sample size. I hope I'm wrong, but I think he's just going to be this guy that when he's in there, as you said, just a wrecking ball, just making things happen, whether it's in the stat sheet or not, extremely disruptive. But man, he's just, sometimes that car doesn't get out the garage. Speaking of uh, of fast, you know, uh, some call him a fast talker. He would tell you he doesn't even talk much, even though he joked around on Twitter yesterday asking the NFL to mic him up for a game. He said he'd keep it PG-13. And that's uh, C.D. Deuce, a.k.a. C.J.G.J., a.k.a. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I wanted to ask you about him, the player, Nick. Everybody knows, you know, C.D. Deuce in terms of stirring the pot and, and getting in the mind of the opponent and getting under their skin and, he was memed a lot this week with, with his trash talking to, to, um, to, to Tom Brady and everything. But I was saying this yesterday. I think what he does in a Dennis Allen type of defense and in that scheme, you know, nothing against P.J. Williams, but, I mean, Chauncey's just better. I mean, he, he, I think because of how much he chirps, you know, I saw someone online the other day saying, oh, well, he gets called for penalties a lot and he gets burned a lot. I'm like, not really. I mean, I, I think – there's almost a disconnect, and maybe this is just me, of the, the, the trash talker and the player that he is on the field. I, I'm, look, I, I, he's not an all-pro or anything, and he's not, you know, he doesn't have that ceiling that Davenport does that we just talked about. But I, is it just me? I, I feel like Gardner Johnson's ability on the field is maybe better than he gets credit for because a lot of the attention is on things he does First, I do got to give it up to you because I think you were the one person that, that kind of saw the Trey Hendrickson, what it was, and that it was a real thing. And we talked about him a lot last yeah. year. And, it, you know, everybody else was kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, he's kind of getting clean up sacks. And uh, you were you were definitely right about um, who he is and, and, you know, what he was doing. Um, and that's that's a miss for the Saints, honestly. I mean, I understand how they made it, but, I mean, they, they should have they known better than anybody else on him. Um, and maybe the financials still would have forced it, but I – I don't think they believed in, in the production quite to the level that it was at last year. And, and you know, people were just wrong about him. Um, as far as C.D. Deuce, I mean, though, with, with the, the intangibles and, and the emotional leadership, those are things that, that are hard to quantify kind of, you know, when you, when you look at a player's value and what they're doing on a field, you kind of overlook those things. Juan's kind of the, the same type of guy. Uh, Demario Davis gives you some of that, but, there's a difference just in what he's out there versus when he's not out there, and people feed off him, and you you see that when he's when he's going and he's got people fired up, like his teammates love him, and I think that makes everybody else play a little bit harder. And you know, I'm not I'm not a big intangible leader. You know, I don't place a ton of value on that, but sometimes you just see it, and I think you see it with him and the difference that he makes, and it's extremely obvious and. I, I agree with you. I, I think he's a really good player. I think he thinks he does he does well. I think there's some limitations to what he can do. Like as far as slot corner covering Chris Godwin, you know that that that's that's probably not a matchup that he's gonna win very often. He can probably hold his own a little bit, but by the end of the game, you know against a guy like that, he, he's probably gonna lose that matchup. But I don't know how many slot corners are really covering that guy very well. Anyhow, I mean he, he's thousand yard receiver. He tackles well. He he plays in the box. You know, as far as his skill set in the slot, he tackles well. He, he plays in the box. You know, as far as his skill set in the slot, he tackles well. He, he plays in the box really well. 
every now and then you'll see him kind of maybe get caught in his own coverage or, or something. But I think at the end, the scales, it's clearly in favor. I mean, he, he does a lot of things really, really well. I think his instincts are very good. You see him make just a handful of plays kind of off script just, just through his feel of the game and, and the recognition. And the interception, I mean, you saw his athleticism on that. He, he was trailing the guy, jumps the route, you know, that incredible just closing speed on the on the play. I think he's. I think he's. A, he's a really good player. Um, like you said, he he's, he might not be all pro, but I think that he brings a lot to a team, and there's a lot of value having him on the field. And yeah, definitely significantly better than having PJ Williams on the field. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. One of the things I enjoy about Nick's site is he brings in other scouts from uh, other teams to break down upcoming matchups and. I was reading your one about the one next Monday against the Dolphins. I think Tom Radowski wrote it. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But just getting insight, you know, it's not like the Dolphins are a, are a NFC South opponent. You know, some fans, you know, you know Tua, you know a couple of things about them, but you're not as familiar with them as the teams that you face, you know, twice a year. Um, it's a Monday night game. It is a team that is extremely hot. You know, they're only – I think, what, two is on the longest win streak in, in the NFL right now for quarterbacks. There could be one I'm missing, maybe one other one, but he's... Oh, Patrick Mahomes and Tua, that's it, uh, in terms of, of games they've won in a row. So the Dolphins, you know, folks can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, it was the Jets a few times, the Texans were in there. I, I just, I think it's going to be a, a really tough game. I think the Saints are currently a three-point betting favorite, but... You got a familiar opponent the last two weeks of the season, and you can match up with. I know Carolina and Atlanta beat the Saints earlier this year. One was a a wild game against Atlanta. The other was Week Two, and the Saints were, you know, missing more than half of their staff to COVID. So I think those are winnable games. This one, the Saints want to make a real run here. This is the one that I really can't quite put a finger on in terms of what I'm anticipating. But uh, I know it's early in the week, and the game's not till Monday. Here we are, midweek. But what are your thoughts on this matchup? And, and, and ultimately, there's going to be a lot of keys to the game, Nick. But what do you think is going to be the biggest key against the Miami Dolphins Monday night? Yeah, a lot of things happened the last couple of weeks. Like, while I was looking the other direction, like, all of a sudden, the Omicron thing is just all over. It's taking over the world. And, and Miami won six games in a row, and they were no longer a 1-17. Like, I, I don't know when that happened, but you kind of look up and, like, here they are. And they're, they're playing well. Um, I think I think they're getting a little bit of better play at quarterback. Their running game isn't great, but it was great last week. Uh, I think their defense is playing pretty good. So they're a team that, that's rolling. And, and, you know, yeah, they played some takes and, you know, whatever, sure. But when a team gets rolling and they start believing that, there's some value to that. And, you know, I think it, it just comes a little bit easier to overcome adversity then. Like if they get into a tough situation with the Saints, they got – six games of success now, regardless of the opponent, to look back on and, and kind of have some confidence. So I think that makes a difference. And in, in you don't you, you would have rather caught them earlier than after winning six games in a row. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that I think does set up well for the Saints in this game is that Miami's offensive line isn't very good. Um, Tom noted in, in that article you're re- referencing, that I think they've allowed more pressures than anybody else in the NFL or they're one or two in you know, I think for a team that, that's playing well on the defensive line has gotten healthy. Um, you saw what they did against a really good offensive line uh, Sunday night against the Bucks, going against one that, that's having some issues. 
I think sets up well for them. And I think the way that, that Dennis Allen kind of designs his defense against the young quarterback is going to be a lot safer at the defensive line in the secondary. I think that they can create confusion, create pressure, create opportunity uh, for turnovers. And, you know, with the way the Saints offense is playing, like they, they got to get some of those plays in every game. I, I don't even think it's a, it's a thing where you can say, got to come out of it even in the turnover battle. Like I think they need to really win the turnover battle yeah. every single week, steal some possessions just to offset some of that anemic nature of the offense and just give them more opportunities. And I think they're going to get that in this game. I said last week before the Tampa Bay game, the Saints moving forward have to win two of the three phases of the game by, uh, uh, I think, a I won't say giant margin, but – whatever word you want to use, significant. It can't be a small margin. They have to really win the special teams game and really, really win the defensive battle because offensively, if you're expecting them to go in there and create a ton of offense with what they have right now, and we'll see, you know, obviously when you get Armstead and Ramchek back, that, that'll help, but you, you still, you know, what you have at receiver is what you have. And, yeah, Deontay Harris will come back against Carolina, but even then, you're just with, with Taysom at quarterback and what the offense wants to do, you have to win the special teams and defensive battle, uh, I think, by a pretty significant margin moving forward. That is Nick Underhill. Guys, if, uh, if you haven't seen his stuff, first follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill. That's the handle, and uh, check out all his stuff over at neworleans.football, at his podcast, nof.tv, and uh, that is part, you know, the podcast is subscribers kind of, you know, every time it's updated and there's a new one, they uh, they have access to that as well over at the site. Nick, I, I ramble a lot about your site, but before I let you run, man, is there anything you want to add to our listeners about what you work on and, uh, and why it's a little different for the Saints fan? I got nothing to add beyond what you said, except that when I ever go anywhere, if I, if I go to a wedding, if I need to be introduced in a room, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call and hire you because the things you say about me are more flattering than anything anybody else says about me. So, uh, yeah, thank you. And like you said, we, we just try to do stuff that, that you aren't getting other places. Um, you mentioned Tom Radowski. We, we got scouts on there breaking down games, opponents. It, it's just it's just a little more for people that want some more of the hardcore analysis, some of the X's and O's, and that's what we try to provide. All right, Nick, I appreciate the time. Last question, nothing to do with the Saints. What is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? Ah, man, so I, I, I paused to think about it. As soon as you said it, the first one that came to mind was, was Home Alone, so I guess I'm going to go with, with, with Home Alone. I think that's kind of the one that attached to me. As a child, um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is the other one. You know, I, I think it was just kind of a, a classic. My family would watch it all the time. So I, I got to go with those two. Nothing wrong with that, man. I like Home Alone's up there for me. It's a Wonderful Life's a classic, and, and I really like Bad Santa, which, you know, is, oh, yeah. is it's 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 it can be explicit at times, but I think what makes the raunchy humor work is that there's this very human element to the movie, uh, you know, just the relationship that he has with, that young boy who they, they kind of save each other's life in a weird way, but it's just chock full of all this dark humor. I think it's brilliant. So three very different movies, but those, yeah, I, I don't, I, look, I have three kids. I probably won't have time to watch any of those this year. Probably Home Alone with, with my son, but I, have, I don't get to watch him, uh, movies too much anymore, but those are, those are the ones for me. Nothing wrong with Home Alone. That is Nick Underhill. I appreciate the time, man. Merry Christmas, and uh, 
maybe in January, especially if the Saints do sneak in as the seventh seed, we could, we could have you on one more time before the wild card matchup. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. That is Nick Underhill. I'm Scott Prather. This is The Great Scott Show. We'll take a timeout. The 8 o'clock hour comes your way next. My man Ali Cassell is going to join us at 8.15. We'll talk a little Pels. But up next, why the NFL continues to simply plow through, right? They're doing whatever they can to get these games in. And maybe a new dark horse in the AFC to keep an eye on as far as the Super Bowl goes. Maybe, maybe. We'll open up phone lines as well before Ollie joins me. This is the Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.